Our scripture today comes from Philippians chapter 4, and I'll begin reading with verse 10. I always kind of give you a, a little challenge about reading scripture. We need to know the Word of God. We need to read scripture. The scripture is God pouring himself into us. Uh, because it is from God's voice. It is God's word. And a great place, if you're trying to get started in this, is start with Philippians. It's only four chapters. I, I used to know how many verses, 60 or 70 verses. It takes about 15 minutes. And I always encourage people, when you read, don't worry about what you don't know. Simply look for what you can know and what God wants to say to you. I love Philippians. I love Philippians because of where it came from. I love Philippians because it's a letter of joy, because it is Paul pouring his heart into a people that he loved. So listen to these words. It's a thank you note from Paul to the people of the church in Philippi, and I'll explain why it's a thank you note in a moment. Here's what he says. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all these things what things? Being content, living in plenty, living in want. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. But it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you did. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me, you, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more may be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. Isn't that a great way of saying thank you? You have helped and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I want to talk with you today about what I've learned about thankfulness and gratitude. 
And I want to base it on what God has taught us and on what Paul had learned. I'm intrigued when Paul says, I have learned how to be content in every circumstance. I'm intrigued when Paul says, I have learned the mystery of being content. And what makes it so amazing is the circumstances that Paul lived in. Now, let me just bring you up to date. I've, I've given this little timeline a number of times, and I hope that in your mind you know this timeline. Jesus was crucified, raised from the dead, and ascended into heaven about A.D. 30. For five years, the gospel grew, but there was tremendous persecution. Somewhere within that first five years, the first Christian martyr, there were many. In fact, I don't think that it would be wrong to say that there have been millions through the years. But the first Christian martyr was killed about that time period, maybe A.D. 33 or 34 or 35. And Paul, he was known as Saul then, was a part of the mob that was consenting to his death and egging the others on to throw stones and to kill him. And Stephen was martyred somewhere about A.D. 35. And out of that experience, God spoke to Saul, and Saul, we now know him as Paul, was saved about A.D. 35. And you get the idea in your mind, then Paul started preaching, started missionary journeys, started churches, started writing the Bible, and couldn't be further from the truth. For at least the next 13 years, Paul was in training, receiving from the Lord. We're told that he spent three years in the wilderness, and it seems that God was speaking to him, and God was giving him much of the things that you and I know in the New Testament because Paul wrote almost half of the books of the New Testament. And then about A.D. 48, Paul was in Antioch of Syria. Now, you don't know Antioch, and I don't know Antioch, but it was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. And in Antioch of Syria, there was the most vibrant church in the Christ, among the Christian churches. And it seems, go back and read it, it seems that Paul was an associate pastor of the church in Antioch. And while the church was worshiping, the Spirit of God spoke to the church and said, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them to do. And the church set them apart and sent them out on the first missionary journey. And basically they went to Cyprus because Barnabas was from Cyprus, and then they went to Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and they preached the gospel, and churches were started, and people were saved, and they came back home. 
And Paul wrote the first book that he wrote, maybe the second book of the New Testament, the book of Galatians in A.D. 49 and 50. And then Paul went on a second missionary journey. And on that second missionary journey, he retraced part of the places that he had gone, Paul and Silas, on the second missionary journey. And they, they came back to Central Asia Minor. And the believers there told them about Timothy, a young man, and they commended him to Paul and Silas. And Timothy went with them, and apparently he was a new believer who had been saved on the first missionary journey. And all of them eventually made their way to Philippi, across the Aegean Sea, in Greece, to Philippi. And Paul Paul had a strategy. Paul had a plan. How was he going to take the gospel to a new city? Well, he was going to go to the synagogues, but Philippi didn't have enough Jews to have a synagogue. All you needed was 12, it was 10 Jewish men over the age of 12, and they didn't have that many. But he found some Jews who were praying by the river, and he went to them and he said, We have found the Messiah. And he is Jesus, and God raised him from the dead. And for several weeks, Paul met with that group, telling them about the gospel, and some of them were saved. But everywhere Paul went, a famous author said either there was a revival or a riot, and most of the time there were both that occurred. And so that occurred in Philippi. And Paul and Silas were beaten. And then they were thrown into a Roman jail. Now, there was one thing that they didn't know. They didn't know Paul was a Roman citizen. And Romans didn't treat their citizens that way, but they treated non-citizens in that way and worse. So they, threw, they beat up Paul and Silas. They threw them into jail. But out of the circumstances of that, Paul had a tremendous opportunity. It, it is amazing how many people who don't know God will listen to us, not when things are going good, but when things are going bad. And if you're in a Roman prison and you've been beaten, then things are not going good. But they're all in jail together, and the Bible tells us how Paul and Silas were singing hymns to God, probably psalms, about midnight. And all of the other prisoners heard them. And no doubt there was somebody who is challenging them. I mean, wouldn't you think that way? What, what are you, who do you guys think you are, and what do you think you were doing? And Paul and Silas... The Bible doesn't tell us this. I assume they said we are prisoners for the Lord because God sent us. And we've come to Philippi because God has a message for the people of Philippi that God wants you to know him. By the way, do you know that's what I would say to everybody here? And especially those of you who maybe don't attend here often 
or maybe are here only because you're here with the family members, or maybe somebody asked you, or maybe there was that strange compulsion within you that said, I ought to go to church today, and I'll just go to this church. I think of it this way. In all of the seats in this auditorium, God knows where you are seated. And God knows the message you need to hear. Now, I don't, but he does. And Paul and Silas were saying, God has sent us to Philippi so that you could hear the good news. And at midnight, there was an earthquake and the, and the jail breaks apart and allows the prisoners to go free. Now, this was not good news for the, the Roman soldiers because a Roman soldier had two responsibilities. If you were in danger of losing those people that you were guarding, this is not good news. They were to kill them. And if you lost a prisoner, you were to kill yourself. And that's what the Roman, the Philippian jailer started to do, started to kill himself. Paul cried out and said, wait a minute, we're all here. Don't, don't harm yourself. They've already preached the gospel. Not only did the, 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 the prisoners hear it, but the jailers heard it. And the Philippian jailer came in and asked the question, what must I do to be saved? So God wants me to know him. God wants my sins to be forgiven. God wants me to be made new. God wants to live in me, and he wants me to live in him. How do I do that? And Paul and Silas shared with him the gospel, and he was saved, and they went to his household, and they were saved. And the jailer, who had not cared about their wounds before, dressed their wounds and gave them food to eat. And the next day, I always love this about Paul. It may tell you more about me than it does about Paul. But the next day, the officials in Philippi realized they had made not just a mistake, but a colossal error that could cost them their lives. They had taken a Roman citizen and had beaten him and thrown him into prison when he should not have been treated that way at all. So the, the, the officials in the city sent word to the Philippian jailer, oh, by the way, we were wrong. Let those men go. Now, here's the part I love about Paul. Paul said, wait a minute, you beat us in public. You accused us in public. You put us in jail in public. You said that we were lawbreakers when we were not lawbreakers. If you want us to go free, you come and you free us in public as well. I like that about Paul from a human point of view. But I also like that about Paul because it was his way of saying the gospel is the good news of God to all people. 
and we're not lawbreakers, and we're not trying to destroy other people. We're trying to give life. And it was his way of elevating the gospel. So he left Philippi. So that was his interaction with Philippi. It was about A.D. 50. Ten years or so later, Paul has been finished the second missionary journey, finished the third missionary journey, has gone back to Jerusalem, is arrested in Jerusalem. They wanted to kill him. The Romans actually saved his life. They put him in a Roman prison. He's there for two years at Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast, finally makes a trip to Rome. They're shipwrecked along the way, has to hang on to driftwood to live. They go to Rome. They put him under house arrest, and he is waiting judgment by the Roman government. And in it, at that time, Paul wrote back to the church at Philippi. They had caught up with Paul. They knew he had to provide his own living. They knew he couldn't work. They sent him gifts. They made it possible for him to live. And Philippians is Paul's thank you note that is filled with the good news of God. And in it, Paul tells us what he has learned. And that's what I want to tell you. Four things that I have learned from the Word of God about gratefulness and thanksgiving. Number one is not about thankfulness and not about gratefulness. It's the beginning point. It's the foundation stone. If you don't have number one, you can't have number three and number four, which are about thankfulness and gratitude. It has to begin with the foundation, and the foundation is, is the first thing that I've learned that God must have first place in my life, that God has to be first in all things. Now, I don't have to tell you how difficult that is. I don't have to tell you how difficult it is that we put God first and he is above all else in our lives. I'm just going to talk about men and women in a typical way that we talk about men and women. This doesn't fit everybody, but it fits a lot of people. What did Jesus say to us? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things, what things? All of the things you have to have to make it in life, food and clothing and shelter. And maybe in our day, we would say there are a few other things like transportation and technology and and. And, and education and an education for our children and our grandchildren. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all of these things that you worry about will be added to you as well. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But how many of you men put your living, your work, before God? And how many of you women put your family, your relationships before God? Do you see how difficult it is to seek 
first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And do you see that this has to be the foundation? It has to be the foundation of everything. We can't just decide, well, I'm going to be a good person and leave God out of our lives. I can't decide I'm going to be righteous and holy and leave God out of my life. I can't, I can't go to God if I don't put God first. I can't go to him and say, God, I have this issue and this problem, and I need to be changed, and I need to be different. God must have first place in my life. Because without having first place, I can't do all of the other things and I can't learn anything about gratitude and faithfulness. There's a second thing that I've learned. And I have learned that I must seek Christ daily. And I must let him be in charge of my life because it is too easy to go from Sunday to Sunday and leave God out of my life. But when I come to him daily and I spend time with him and I seek him and I pour out my soul before the Lord and I tell him the things that I struggle with and that I'm worried about and that I'm afraid of, when I seek him daily, then I'm getting daily encouragement and daily help. And, and daily I'm thinking about not the things of Wayland, but the things of God. And I'm living my life in a way that is pleasing unto him. So we have to seek first the kingdom of God. We have to put God first, but we have to deal with it daily. That's what Jesus said. In Luke chapter 9, he said it this way, and, and here's what Luke said. He spoke this to all of them, and here's what I think he means, to all of those who were his disciples, to everyone who was following him, to all of the crowd who was around him, to all of those who were enthralled with the fact that he was a, a miracle worker and that he could feed the 5,000 who were amazed at his prayer life. Jesus said to all of them, not to the pastors, but to all of them, if anyone would come after me, that's the very definition of a disciple. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I have learned that I need Christ in my life every day. And that if I have Christ in my life every day, I find strength and help and encouragement. I find that if I put my mind on Jesus and have him in my mind, I start becoming like him. Now, I don't know when you might do this daily. I, I suppose the idea would be to have one very special time. For me, that's in the morning. But for a lot of people who work in offices who get 30 minutes for lunch, they take their 30 minutes, they sit at their desk, they read the Word of God, they pray, they, they, they do something that, that is connected with that and their learning of God. There are other people who do it at the end of the day, and there are other people who do it right before they go to sleep at night. 
There's no prescribed time, but there is the prescription that we are to live for Christ, that we're to die to ourselves, that we're to die daily, and that we're to live for Christ. Paul, when he wrote to the church to the churches, he said to be filled with the Spirit. So we let the Spirit of God fill our lives and all that we do at work, at home, in relationships, in friendships, at school, wherever we are, we let Christ be first and we let him be in control. So those are the foundation stones. And if you have that foundation of seeking Christ first in your life, and seeking him daily, then you're ready to start receiving the things that God wants to do in your life. The third thing that I've learned is that attitude is everything. That in my life and in our lives, that attitude is everything. So I've learned that I must have an attitude of gratitude and thankfulness toward God and toward other people. And it's got to be both, not just one. Obviously, it's got to be to God first because our gratitude, our thankfulness is to God and God is first and God is above all, but it affects how we relate to other people. And I would put it toward God and toward others, and I would emphasize this toward others because people who are on the outside, they can only see your faith in the way you treat other people. They can only see your love for God in how you treat other people. You can tell a family member, it can be Thanksgiving, and you're around the table, and, and you can say, I am thankful to God. You can say, I have faith in God, but your family members can't see your faith. They can't even see your gratitude. You can say, I love God, but they have no idea whether that's true or not. But when they see you giving for hurting people, when they see you reaching out to people that everybody else in the world shuns, when they see you caring about the least of these my brothers, when they see your life changing in how you treat them, when they see you living with peace and love and joy in your life, then they start seeing God at work. And whatever we say to God must go out to others, and it must be about others. Because God sent us to go into all the world and to take the gospel and to share with others what God has done in our lives. 
So I must have an attitude that reflects the attitude of Christ. Paul wrote in that thank you note to the Philippians, he told them about Jesus and he encouraged them. And what did he encourage them to do? To have the attitude of Christ, to have the mindset of Christ. That's the goal of being a Christian is to become like Jesus, to live for him, to honor him, to exalt his holy name and to give thanks. Paul says again and again to give thanks. Let me give you a couple examples. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica just down the road, kind of like just down the road between here and Baton Rouge, just down the road from Philippi, there was the town of Thessalonica, the large city actually. And what does he tell them to do? He says, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I want you to notice, I mentioned this last week, it's not give thanks for all circumstances. Man, think of the things that have happened in America over the last 10 days. It would be cynical on our part to give thanks for all of those shootings and all of those murders. The Bible doesn't say give thanks for all things. It says give thanks in all things. So in the midst of all of the hard things that we experience in life, we can go to God and we can spend time with him. And the, the very natural thing when we go to God is to thank God for who he is and what he's done and that he is with us and that he has never forsaken us and that he loves us so deeply and so, so well. And he provides for all of our needs, but we're to be thankful in all things. And that's what Paul says. But notice what he says in the two verses before that. All of these are imperatives. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. And then the clincher for me, the one that is so powerful, he says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And many times have you said, I just want to know, I just want to know what God wants me to do. I just want to know what God wants, how God wants me to handle this. I just want to know the will of God as if it is elusive and can't be known and nobody can understand it. Well, if you ever wonder about the will of God, you need to write it down. First Thessalonians 5, verses 18. Verses 16 through 18. God has a will for your life. And what is that will? To rejoice always. To be filled with joy and love. Somewhere around 9 o'clock this morning, there's one of our ushers or door greeters who got here early, and I was standing there talking to him, and his team had lost, and my team had lost, and... And he was just commiserating with me, but not really. And here's what he said, I'm doing fine. Isn't that amazing that we get all caught up in, in those games? I'm doing fine. 
But I'm so thankful that I learned that my joy is based on the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice always. Pray continually. And give thanks in every circumstance. This is the will of God. And if we don't follow the will of God in what is clear and open and in his word, are we going to follow it when God gives us what he wants us to do? And if we won't follow this, is God even going to tell us about his will when we ask for it, if, if we're not going to do something about it? I've learned that I must have an attitude that pleases and honors God. Paul also said this in Ephesians about being grateful. It's Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. I've learned that attitude is everything. The fourth thing that I've learned is this, that I must have a life of holiness and righteousness, and I must treat the people around me as the children of the living God. This is what God wants in you and in me. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart for God. It means that we seek to do everything that God wants and nothing that he doesn't want. Holiness should not be equated with legalism. To be holy is not legalistic. It is to be obedient unto God, to follow after him. I have learned that God wants holiness and righteousness in my life, and this matters to him, and that it is of supreme importance, and it matters how I treat everybody, and that everybody should be treated as a child of the living God, and that we should be loving and caring in the things that come from God. This is the will of God. In that passage in Ephesians chapter 5, this is what Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, you and me, in Psalms, in hymns, in songs that come from the Spirit of God. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Sometimes people will say, you, you, I've been to your church. Man, y'all sing a lot. And we do. And we sing best. We sing our very best when we sing and make music from our hearts in the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've learned that God wants gratitude and thankfulness in my life and that he wants it in your life. And that it all begins very, very basically by seeking God and putting him first in our lives. And for some it means making a foundational decision. I give my heart, my life to Christ. I want him first.
and for all of us to say to God, God, I, I want you today, and I want this day to be pleasing unto you. We, we have what we call an invitation time every service. And I know for some of you, it's, it's, it's just the end of the service. Maybe that's the way you think of it. Maybe you think of it, we do this again and again and again, or I, I have no idea. But I just want you to know that it's not a just a something that we do. But in the scripture, there's always a challenge. There's always a therefore. There's always something that you do with it. And I want this time, and we want this time to be a time in which we can say more than, I went to church for 65 minutes. I want it to be a time in which you can say, I. I met with God. I met with the people of God. I made foundational decisions that are blessing me every day. And I want to ask you to say, God, I want you first in my life, and I put you in that place. And I want you to say, God, I want you for this day. This day is yours, and I want every day to be yours. Let's pray together, please. And at the conclusion of my prayer, we'll stand and the music will begin and we'll invite you to come to the front and talk with the pastor and make foundational decisions. God, you are good. And we thank you for your goodness. You are so good and kind and loving and merciful and forgiving. And God, you did your very best for us by giving us yourself in the person of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, who became the once and for all sacrifice for our sin. God, thank you for that. God, I pray now that there will be people here who open their hearts to you and trust you as their Lord and Savior and who walk to the front and confess that Jesus is the Christ. God, I pray for others who need to be reminded that every day is your day. And they come to confess that before you. God, please speak to our hearts and our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.